You're listening to Switched On Australia, the podcast that tracks the opportunities and challenges of electrifying everything, everywhere. Switched On is brought to you by the publishers of Renew Economy, Australia's best informed, most read website focusing on the green energy transition and is supported by Boundless Earth, using philanthropy, investment and direct advocacy to help Australia become a global force in a decarbonised world. Hello and welcome to the Switched On Australia podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm Anne Delaney. My guest today is Tim Forsey. Tim is an independent energy consultant and researcher from Melbourne who provides advice to householders on how to improve the energy performance and comfort of their homes and how to save money and reduce carbon emissions by doing that. And that usually involves electrifying. Tim is also the founder of My Efficient Electric Home Facebook page, which he started back in 2015 as a way for householders to exchange information about space heating, water heating and cooking using devices that are fuelled only by renewable heat and electricity. It's an incredibly valuable resource and as far as I can see, there's nothing else that provides the sort of practical hands-on advice on how to upgrade and electrify our homes. And perhaps because of that, the group has now over 100,000 members from all around Australia. But Tim didn't start out as an energy transition warrior. Many moons ago, he worked for the gas and petrochemical industries. So I started my discussion with Tim Forsey by asking him how a gas man became pro-renewables. So I studied as a chemical engineer, but even gone before that, you know, I was a child of the energy crisis of the 70s in North America. And I said we grew up with ice and snow, but energy prices went up. So we were wrapping our hot water services with insulation. And my folks even had triple glaze windows uh, in North America in the 70s. So that was that was kind of new technology in the 70s. Um, but it made sense because it was 20 to 20 degrees below zero outside. So uh, you wanted to try to be more comfortable. Um, but then I went to uni and I was always interested in efficiency. Uh, My career started in the petrochemical industry where we tried to do things as efficiently as possible because we were talking about big industry and even if you could reduce your energy use by one percent that was millions of dollars a year. So uh, that was something that we chased but then I did migrate to Australia and was working in the oil and gas industry with SO and BHP and again you try to be as efficient as possible not waste things But at some point, I became very climate aware. I mean, you know, working with Exxon, we were fully aware of climate change since, of course, 1992 with the, you know, initial climate conferences. And we understood the, you know, the climate science, the mechanism of the greenhouse gases, etc. You know, chemical engineers understand this sort of stuff. Um, You know, we didn't know what to do about it, but we certainly knew it was going to be an issue, going to be a problem. Um, And then eventually, though... um, you know, and, and if you, when you worked in the gas industry 20 years ago, you could say, well, at least it's not coal, you know, <laughs> it's better than coal. So you can justify these things. But eventually, yeah, just, uh, you know, I could not get as excited as my management were, were about getting oil and gas out of the ground ever faster. Yeah. So I started to look around and do other things, which led to some of the Melbourne Uni research and then this, this uh, semi-retired activity I have now of going into people's homes. But I was doing this you know, even as a volunteer down in Bayside, Melbourne in 2007, working with the local council, we set up a volunteer program where we would go into people's homes and try and help our neighbors to reduce their footprint. That was 2007. So, um, you know, just been banging on around this for a while. (laughs) 
We'll keep on banging, Tim. Tell me about My Efficient Electric Home. What were you hoping to achieve with the group and, and what's been the response to it? Sure, this is a bit of a long story. I'll, I'll go way back a bit. But um, about eight years ago at the University of Melbourne, I was doing some casual research and we worked out that people could heat their homes for a third the cost by using reverse cycle air conditioners rather than burning gas. And that was all pretty remarkable because years ago I mi- migrated to Australia to work in the gas industry. But here, we, here I was at Melbourne Uni uh, later in uh, my career doing some research and we found out that people would be better off if they didn't use any gas in their homes at all. And this was just from an economic point of view. So that was a good story. We published some things. We got some media attention. But, um, you know, the story just didn't go, uh, go out far enough. And so I was wondering what to do about that. And one day my kids said, you know, Dad, there's this thing called social media. And I said, okay, what's that? And they said, like Facebook. So I started the Facebook group now known as My Efficient Electric Home, where initially we talked about heating homes with air conditioners, but then people wanted to branch out and talk about, of course, the solar panels and heat pump for hot water and draft proofing and insulation and window treatments and all those things. So My Efficient Electric Home was what the the group became. And um, the size of it has doubled every year for about eight years or so. We're up to uh, 91,000 members now with up to 200 new members joining each day. So it won't be long before we're at 100,000. And what you see going on there is uh, people all across the country, even internationally, helping each other to make their homes more comfortable, to uh, uh, deal with the cost of living by turning to uh, cheaper ways to, to heat a house, to run a house, and also how to make them more comfortable with the draft proofing tips and insulation, etc. So um, yeah, some people would say it's the best thing on, on Facebook. So. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's doing well. And here in Australia, do, do you put the, the, the high take-up uh, down to the fact that we, uh, we're sort of in this stage now where we're all desperate for information about how to make our homes more efficient and, and electrify them? Yeah, we, I suppose we've know, always known that our homes are, are pretty uncomfortable, and I suppose particularly in the, in the colder places in the wintertime. I'm, I'm in Melbourne, of course, Canberra, Tasmania, a lot of people chipping in, Ballarat, but also um, in some of the places in New South Wales and Queensland in particular. Yeah, people have known their, their homes are uncomfortable, but they kind of lived with that. Uh, certainly working from home has meant that more people have realized just how bad their homes are. And then they started to run up some quite big energy bills, in particular because, you know, as we as we identified years ago at Melbourne Uni, the price of gas has gone up quite a bit once we started exporting uh, liquefied gas out of Queensland. So gas uh, all across the East Coast, the price went up quite dramatically and people started to notice those those huge energy bills. So what to do about it? Um, often you find uh, information at, for example, government websites can be a bit out of date, not terribly useful, or the energy companies and others, they'll put up the same tips, you know, drop your thermostat a degree, uh, make mm-hmm. sure the seals around your refrigerators are good, those sorts of things, things we've been hearing for, for a long, long time. Um, but I think that uh, with, with a, you know, a platform like Facebook where you can upload uh, photographs and links and even spreadsheets, etc., gave people a lot more information that they could have a look at and uh, then proceed to take action at home. And is the is the cost of energy one of the main themes that that is talked about on the on the page? From the experience at the Facebook group, or you know, in my business, where I go into people's homes for three hours and we look at everything and discuss their options, 
what really gets the phone ringing. And also we see, you know, a greater uptick in the membership uh, all of a sudden at, at My Fish and Electric Home is uh, a cold spell coming across Australia <laughs> is what really brings people in. And so that's not the, the energy bill. That's, you know, the realization they woke up in the morning and they've got, you know, moisture all over their windows or it's just bloody freezing uh, out in the kitchen or something. And that's what uh, more than anything else. And for people who've been in this space even longer than I have, they know that uh, comfort can be the number one driver. And you can see something similar in the summertime when it gets hot. Then people want to know about uh, how to shade their windows and how to better operate their air conditioners or their fans or to stay cool. So the comfort and the weather changes is, is a, you know, real, you know, real thing that gets people to take some immediate action to find out where they can find more information. And then, of course, there's always been the, uh, the environmental side, the climate side, um, people interested in uh, switching off the fossil fuels. But then you do find people, um, as I say, with the price of, of gas in particular going up, wanting to know what to do other than to keep getting big gas bills. Goodness me, I was just in a house the other day, and the people were absolutely shocked. Their first gas bill was only 40 days, but it was $1,000. So that's $25 a day they're paying for gas. Um, and they just actually absolutely blew them away. Um, you know, it's a big house. You know, they paid a lot of money for this old house, big old house, and it's very inefficient. But yeah, they just had no idea going in that they would be up for that. If, they, if there had been a mandatory rating system like the UK's had or the Canberra's had for a long time, yeah, it would have said this is a zero-star house and you're going to be up for a big gas bill unless you do something about it. One of the hurdles we face in making our homes all electric is every house is different and every householder needs or wants something different, which makes it hard to give generic advice when it comes to electrifying and making a home more energy efficient. Tim Forsey says we need to tailor solutions to individual circumstances and goals, but he admits it's hard for people to find good advice, which is why it's easy for the gas industry to keep peddling misinformation. Here's an example. So uh, I was in a home with a young couple and I'm sitting there in the lounge room looking. It's winter. I'm looking at the reverse cycle air conditioner up on the wall. Perfectly good new air conditioner on the wall that they're not using for heating. They're running the ducted gas heating. So I said, I see you're running the ducted gas heating. Um, tell me about that. And they said, yeah, you know, last winter we were lucky the ducted gas heating failed, but we were lucky we had this reverse cycle air conditioner there. We could use it for heating for a couple of weeks while we organized to spend $5,000 for a new gas heater. <gasps> and then we went back to the gas heating. And then I just have to say, well, you look, you know, one of the reasons you got me here is for my knowledge and uh, a key message is that the cheapest way by far to heat your house is with the reverse cycle air conditioner, maybe a third the cost. So I'm very sorry that last winter you spent $5,000 for a, a gas heating system, which now mm, basically should be thoughtfully recycled while you use the reverse cycle air conditioner and save yourself a bit of money. And, and so this was, you know, a couple clients that were, you know, uh, were switched on enough to somehow track me down and have me into their house, but they missed like my key message <laughs> yeah. until I was actually there in person to deliver it. And so that just means there's millions of people out there that, you know, just don't even have a clue that uh, the new air conditioner they bought last summer, they thought they were going to use mostly for summer cooling. It's sitting right there, the cheapest way to heat their house, but they haven't even switched it on to use it in that situation. And there's lots of reasons. I mean, the down here in Victoria, the 
fossil gas industry is still running ads saying mm. that you know gas is cheaper, greener, and cleaner than something. They don't say what it's cheaper, cleaner, or greener than. It's just <laughs> cheaper than something i don't know maybe burning it's cheaper than throwing you know dollar bills into your fireplace i guess um <laughs> that would be about it um so they you know occasionally the advertising council does jump on them a bit but often they get away with this so this is continuing to you know uh confuse people mislead people so that's unfortunate but also we have a legacy of demonizing the use of air conditioners because it's like oh it's a summer heat wave, don't use your air conditioner, it'll be expensive and crash the, crash the electricity grid. And I say to people, I don't care whether you use your air conditioner in summer or not, that's up to you. But use it all winter long because it's your cheapest way to heat. Mm. What are your views, though, on solar and batteries, which are obviously quite big on the electrification agenda? Where do you, where do you sit when you advise clients about solar and batteries? Well, anybody that's got a you know, decent roof you know, facing the sun, um, it's probably going to be very interested in solar and look for some homes if they're not up for all the rebates and maybe if the roof isn't fantastic, you know, they could be looking at an eight or 10 year payback for solar. So it's not necessarily a barn burner, but a lot of them will want to do it anyway. Um, you know, they do understand that the renewable energy credits get smaller every year. And so I often say to people, you know, do solar this calendar year, or forget about it. Um, but at the same time, we've undoubtedly also come up with other ways people can spend money, whether it's going to be improving their insulation in their roof space or doing the draft proofing, um, getting a hot water heat pump, all those other things you could spend money on. So solar is not necessarily the number one thing, but it is a very important thing for people to look at. And then as far as the battery, you know, in Melbourne, you know, with the electricity prices we have um, and the constraints that we don't have on you know how we operate our solar homes batteries don't make a lot of economic sense for homes in melbourne right in this time um but if you're in a place where you know the power might go out from town to time up in the dandenongs when a tree blows over you might want to get a battery and wire it up so that you can island from the grid and um, get through a you know power outage like that um and then we are you know i've been reading in renew economy about some of these crazy electricity prices in mm. south of Australia, for example, uh, or, or constraints that they're putting on solar homes like in Queensland, where, yeah, that, that kind of drives people to either an electric car or a battery or something to, A, soak up a lot of electricity that, that maybe wouldn't be produced otherwise because of some sort of limit on the grid or uh, get a home battery that then can uh, take them through the nighttime and uh, give them cheap electricity throughout the night. Mm. You're listening to Switched On Australia, and my guest today is energy consultant Tim Forsey, who established the My Efficient Electric Home Facebook page. One of the big issues that has emerged on the My Efficient Electric Home page has been the fees that householders get charged to disconnect from the gas network, anything from zero dollars to a couple of thousand. In Victoria, the energy regulator has capped this fee at $220, but the gas companies are still able to recoup the rest of the cost of a disconnection from the remaining customers who stay connected to gas, which inevitably will just drive more people off the gas. That's if they can afford it or are able to electrify. Initially, anyone wanting to um, disconnect from the gas grid, it was kind of novel and unusual. No one, wanted it, no one ever wanted to do that before. And so then, you know, drip by drip, people started, you know, wanting to disconnect their homes from the gas grid. And initially, the gas industry 
didn't really understand or what was going on or, or ignored it. I mean, I suppose for years, people have said, have rung up the gas company and said, look, I'm going to do a renovation. The gas meter's in the way. Can you get that out of the way? Then we'll do the renovation and later on we'll reconnect to gas. So there was always that mechanism. But now people are ringing up the gas companies and to take away the gas meter. And But the thing is, they'd never call the gas company up again. And they were wondering, <laughs> when, are, when are these people going to want their gas meter back? So uh, th that's part of the process, as you can get off the gas for, for heating, use the reverse cycle air conditioner, it's cheaper. Uh, get off the gas for the hot water, use a heat pump, it's cheaper. Get off uh, the gas for cooking, use an induction cooktop, it's safer and healthier. And then you no longer need to get a gas bill. Uh, often I present to the public in community groups, and a question I'll ask early on is, raise your hand, please, if you want to receive a gas bill for the rest of your life. And I've not really had anybody raise their hand to that <laughs> question. So here we have the opportunity. I mean, if you go back, you know, 10 years, a lot of people had fantasies that we'd all be disconnecting from the ele electricity grid. That's unlikely. People will, will stay connected to the electricity grid. They'll stay connected to the water and sewer grid. But here's a, a grid you can, you can say goodbye to. That's the gas grid. So stop using the gas, then you ring up the gas company and say, you can see I'm not using gas, stop sending me a bill. But then there have been interesting experience, experiences happen all around the country, and these were kind of documented in an article I published recently, where people were being charged like up to $1,500 in places in New South Wales, or $1,000 in Canberra, $500 on the western side of Melbourne, to uh, see the final disconnection of, from the gas. Now, I only paid $69, and my, my son and others have paid $0. So it was a real mm. crapshoot or the Wild West as to what, what actually happens when you get to that point. And recently for Victorian, the Australian energy regulator has declared that everybody should pay 220 bucks for something to happen. Um, mm. And uh, so that, that's an interesting space still to see when you do finally get off, uh, stop using gas, what will you be charged Um to A, stop receiving a bill, B, maybe have the meter taken away, C, maybe to have some pipes taken taken away out of the garden as well. Uh, the gas industry and the governments and the regulators and the community really need, do need to get their head around uh, what is going to be the process here for wrapping up the gas grid. And, and also, who should pay for the disconnection of the gas? Should it really be left to individuals who've been paying these network fees for years anyway? Well, that's right. I mean, if you change phone companies, they don't ask you to pay, you know, a fee to change the phone company or to switch a superannuation plan. Or if you're going to buy an electric car, you don't get a bill from the petrol station <laughs> to help them to uh, decommission the petrol station. But that's what's happening here is, is people are getting off gas. They're, you know, they're, they're having to pay for the gas industry to get their property off of your property. So, no, I think a a better situation is that the individual home doesn't pay, but of course there are costs involved. And so we are we are all going to pay one way or the other for the wrapping up of the gas grid. The companies that do the job, they will be paid. They're regulated monopoly industries, so they always get paid. Um, so there's a couple of questions. First, how do you decommission the gas grid in a least cost way? Um, mm. Probably, you know, going ad hoc down the street, doing one house this month and another house across the street the next month, etc. That's probably not the most organized, cheapest way to go about it. And then, and then, how do you recover the costs, or or spread the costs, or what do you do about the costs? But it seems to me raising a barrier to the homes that have 
made investments, done all the right things to um, get off of fossil gas, shouldn't be stung one, you know, shouldn't be hit baby one last time for one more fee. Mm. How important is it, though, to disconnect the gas pipes rather than just asking the gas company to cease supplying the gas? There is a safety issue there, isn't there? There can be a safety issue, and really that shouldn't be the homeowner's issue. Um, mm. Yeah, the gas industry has to figure out what they need to do to, to make their property safe. Uh, and I know that from my experience in industrial um, work that I did for decades, you, you do have to be a little bit concerned of a phenomenon known as, for example, dead leg corrosion. And this is a pipeline that, you know, used to have flow going through it. Um, you know, there's always a little bit of water in our gas. And if you stop the, the flow and now you've just got a dead leg pipe there, water, liquid water can collect in a pipe and maybe lead to corrosion. And that eventually could that could lead to a gas leak. So the gas company knows about these risks. And so they need to um, come up with a plan to... Um, uh, deal with that, uh, eliminate all those risks. Um, you know, some of the more interesting things that have been discussed is, wouldn't it be nice if we could, you know, in a coordinated way, get all the houses off in a street, off gas um, altogether, and then all you got to do is find some pipe connection at the end of the street that you seal off, and basically there's no gas going down that whole street anymore. So, and then go mm. collect your meters, Go home if there's a few, you know, dead pipes underneath the soil. Well, um, you know, there's lots of those there anyway from all the different utilities we use. So that's a more creative way of um, trying to decommission things without uh, treating each home as a special case. So what do you think about banning new gas connections so people don't have to go through the inevitable and often costly process of, um, of having to disconnect? A lot of us all know now and the governments all know now that it doesn't make any sense to connect homes to gas beyond but if we if we don't you know actually ban things um it's just the people that are uninformed uninformed that are going to walk into that trap so should we should we set traps about for people or should we you know do the you know blindingly uh, obvious uh thing and not uh be in connecting these homes to gas i mean if you if you, you know, if you put it up as, a, as a, an option and said, hey, would you like this hazardous, dangerous, special fuel source bought to your house at a cost of 10 grand and put that in front of people, you know, where they were making an informed decision, uh, okay, that would be one option. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not you know, philosophically a fan of bans, but um, you, you got two choices, either ban it or put a whole lot of, you know, useful uh, information in front of people so they can make a valid decision. So what you'd find is in a down a street, you'd have like one house, one house that might be interested in this, uh, you know, this special fuel. Let them pay for the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, there's been a lot of discussion about the role of energy efficiency in the energy transition. How important is energy efficiency for the electrification agenda? Well, it's, it's certainly not a sexy word and people have heard about it for decades. So they do kind of switch off. And what is like, like what is energy efficiency anyway? Well, part of it, of course, is the draft ceiling and the window treatments and the insulation, and so those are important energy efficiency things. But when you say to people these things will make you more comfortable and save you money, you know the word efficiency doesn't even necessarily come up in the average household. Mm. So efficiency is the word efficiency is more you know a word for 
policy wonks and uh, engineers and stuff like that. But in the average household, it doesn't really come up that much. They just want to know how to be comfortable and save money and do the greenest thing. Um, so I, I don't even necessarily use the word efficiency that much. I mean, a reverse cycle air conditioner can put heat into a place uh, at uh, 10 times greater efficiency than a gas burner. But that's not, you know, factor 10, that's amazing. But, and it's a total game changer, but what people really want to know is that it's three times cheaper to be using the air conditioner rather than the gas. They don't really care that it's 10 times more efficient. There's no doubt retrofitting homes that have already been built is much harder than building new all-electric homes with high energy efficiency standards. However, even though we have building codes in Australia, Tim Forsey says we need better regulation to ensure builders and developers actually build houses to the standards they claim they will. What we haven't done very much of is actually checking to ensure that things are being built the way they need to be. And so you might find in a home, eventually you work out that, you know, that wall was meant to have insulation and on paper it was going to have insulation and the star rating said it should have had insulation. But, you know, they stopped putting insulation in the wall halfway up and you only find that out later because the homeowner realizes that bit of wall is very hot or very cold and maybe you do some thermal imaging and you can prove it. Um, mm. And uh, that, that's because nobody checked before the plaster went up that the insulation job was actually done or had been correctly done. I grew up overseas in North America where, you know, we had ice and snow as a kid. And if you had a wall like that, you'd have ice on the inside of the wall. And so that would be a dead mm. giveaway that the home had not been built properly and you'd work that out within the first winter and then you'd get the builder back in when it's under warranty and it would be fixed. Um, but because that happened to a builder once, okay, from then on he did it right. Uh, because yes. you had this climactic, um, uh, you know, climactic situation that would tell you that the house had not been built properly. I guess the problem in the Australian climates is, you know, it's relatively mild weather throughout Australia if you look at it on a global scale. And so people can get away with building things that aren't that good, that are passed off as being good because, you know, it had a good star rating. But, um, you know, they didn't, you know, they didn't close up the gap behind the, you know, behind the fridge or behind the dryer in the laundry room and, and or they didn't, they didn't install a fan with a backdraft damper. And so, you know, for various reasons, the, the home is very leaky or it's missing insulation here and there. But, you know, it's going to take a while for people to, rip, to figure that out and realize it's a problem. And then what are you going to do five, six years down the track, bring the builder back to fix something? Um, all seems too hard. Um, you know, if the house so what, was So what falling, do you think the solution is? What, what do you think the solution is? How do we make builders deliver? Yeah, you would just need inspection. You just need, in, you need inspection along the way. Um, you know, so you need an inspection of the insulation before the plaster goes up. And you need a blower door test to you know, at the end of the construction to test the tightness of the house, which would then identify that gap above the fridge, which can be relatively easily fixed um, from day zero rather than waiting to five or six years down the track when the homeowners experienced over a few winters that there must be something going on behind the refrigerator. <laughs> Tim Forsey, thank you very much for, uh, for joining the Switched On podcast today. Thanks for having me. And Tim Forsey is an independent energy consultant and researcher from Melbourne. That's a wrap for today's Switched On podcast. I hope you can join me for our next two episodes when we look at what the house of the future might be able to do with smart energy technology. 
but also whether those houses are really what householders want and who will be able to access them. I'm Anne Delaney. I hope you can join me then. Music